0: I'd love to be part of a Palm Sunday parade. Some churches march around their block waving branches. Maybe we could do that. Uh, Perhaps even march around our buildings, around our site. No, maybe just me next year then, or maybe another year. Today, friends, we are nearing the end of Lent. Today is Palm Sunday. And as we reflect on that together, let us pray. Gracious God, in these moments, may your word for us be a word of light and of life. Amen. And so every year on this particular Sunday, we find ourselves caught in a bit of annual uneasiness. We greet Jesus on Palm Sunday with rejoicing, knowing that it's mixed already with some rejection. We'd lift our our palms if we had them, but it's not easy to look Jesus in the eye. We know that there's still a lot of pain to come this week. This coming week is hugely significant for our faith, of course, with 29 of the 85 chapters across the four Gospels focused solely on this last week of Jesus' life. And when the people of Jerusalem welcomed him all those years ago, it seems warm and green and promising But in truth, deep betrayal is just around the corner. As we sing today, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We know that later this week, the plot takes a turn. A friend of Jesus will betray him. Another friend denies him. They all abandon him. And so on Thursday night, we'll gather together and share bread and wine and remember the last supper and Jesus washing his disciples' feet Then on Friday, we gather together to remember the betrayal and the suffering and the crucifixion. Remarkably, Jesus still knows all this is coming, and yet plans a parade. We just heard the story read to us this morning. As he gets close to Jerusalem, knowing that this will be the last time that he enters the city, he sends two disciples on ahead and they commandeer a donkey for him to ride. I received my first heckle in a Sunday sermon talking about the donkey and Palm Sunday. So this story carries uh, special memories for me. But I guess those disciples had uh, special memories too, because they seemed to fairly uh, easily just get on with doing something that must have seemed quite strange I guess they'd had experience of Jesus giving them commands they didn't fully understand. This would surely have been one of them. But as they go to collect the donkey, the words they use, I think, are very interesting. They say, the Lord needs it. Now, it was a Roman requirement at the time to declare that Caesar was Lord. And so this is a significant declaration for both Jesus to make and for the disciples to go on making. The owners handed over one of their most valuable possessions too, seemingly without too many issues. The Lord needed it. They gave it. I think that's a challenge to us. It's very easy to miss in this story. And why are we told it's a cult? Well, I think because Jesus knows his scripture. In the ninth chapter of Zechariah, uh, he, in fact, he knows it by heart and it's talking in large measure about him. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. People would recognise that fulfilment of this prophecy and perhaps it stirs in them a sense of something is finally happening. Is this it? God is on the move. We've been waiting for so many years and now here is the moment. Now there's no saddle, so in the excitement they throw their cloaks over. The whole scene is reminiscent of processions we might read about in 1 Kings 1 or 2 Kings 9. It was a generous offer, their cloak. It was their blanket at night, their covering during the day. It was a remarkably generous gesture. And it seems like their generosity inspires others' generosity, and so more people start doing the same and they're thrown on the ground, which was a sign of receiving royalty. And the prophecy in Zechariah 9 goes on to say, he will take away the chariot and the war horse, and the battle bow will be broken, and he will command peace to all the nations. And Jesus rides that way into Jerusalem to indicate something that he doesn't actually say with words, but demonstrates in person. He's demonstrating that he is king, but not the world's kind of king. This is God's kind of king. He is the king of God's kingdom. There's no pomp here, just peace. You see, kings and queens often like to wave at the crowd from fancy carriages or smart limousines. Whereas Jesus is the king who comes riding into town on the back of Eor. He comes bringing not what we would call peace through strength, but instead peace through well, peace. And the crowd loves him, and they can't get enough. I mean, they don't fully understand who he is, and as Friday will clearly show. But even so, something stirs inside of them, knowing that this is right, and that Jesus is the kind of king that they need. And so they're hollering and shouting and waving. They're putting their coats down on the ground and they're singing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. There's just this wonderful outburst of praise. Which meant, not surprisingly, that the Pharisees, all hot and bothered, object. And they come to tell Jesus to stop the racket. Teacher, reprimand your disciples. You see, this parade is a problem for them on a number of levels. For one thing, it seems to be supporting an alternate power base that Caesar won't like. It seems to support non violence in the way the zealots won't like. And it certainly supports Jesus in a way the Pharisees didn't like. But there's something else going on here as well. The whole thing is just, it's just so undignified. It's emotional. It's unsophisticated. It's uneducated. Someone really ought to tell these ignorant, sentimental followers what's going on and what's about to happen in a few days. You see, the crowd don't have a clue. They're too busy cheering and celebrating. And so Jesus set all these people down is quite a challenge. And how about you this morning? Do you want to tell them to be quiet? They've been waiting all their lives for God to come and make it right. And then Jesus is here. Do you want to tell them to be quiet? What, were they, what they're expecting, what Jesus is going to bring, those are two very different things, of course. But would you go up to them and say, what's the matter with you people? Keep it down. Where's your dignity? Follow the rules. I don't think I could do it. But maybe Jesus should sort it. It's his parade, his protest. Maybe he should just tell them the truth, that on Friday he will be dead. But he doesn't. And instead, he tells them something else. You know, if you've read all the accounts of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and there's some variety in the different Gospels, you'll have noticed that this morning's reading from Luke's Gospel, talks about a more modest procession than that in which we find in Matthew, Mark or John. Technically, in Luke, it isn't even a Palm Sunday parade that people spread their garments on the ground, but there's no branches mentioned. There are no hosannas either. But what Luke gives us is something the other three Gospels don't, and that's this wonderful image of stones or rocks shouting out and singing out praise. Jesus turns to all of those miserable religious types and the naysayers and the rule followers with their realism and their cynicism, with their negative attitude and their regulations. And he says, I tell you what, if these folks stay quiet, the stones themselves are going to cheer. And what does he mean by that? Well, I think it could just be that with or without the crowd... The truth is going to get out into the world. The way of God's peace will come. And these human praises may be off key. They might be unsophisticated. And they may fade away entirely in a few days' time. But if they do, Jesus Christ will still be praised. And his kingdom will come, no matter what. You know, I think it's perfectly possible to hear those words of Jesus uh, in a sort of threatening way. If the human hearts and minds won't side with him, then the stones will. It's like something that John the Baptist said. One day, John was preaching to people who couldn't imagine God doing anything without them. We're Abraham's children, they boasted. But they weren't feeding the hungry. They weren't taking care of the poor. They weren't making a contribution and a difference in their world like Abraham's children are supposed to do. And so John says to them, don't claim to be Abraham's children just to comfort yourselves. God can raise Abraham's children out of these stones over here. And now Jesus is saying, if you don't welcome me, God will fire up these stones to do it. God will raise up a people of praise, he says, and I hope you'll be part of it. But it doesn't have to be you. The kingdom of God friends, is a parade that can pass us by if we choose. But what if that's not what we choose? What if we really do want to welcome Christ into every aspect of our life? Yes, we're far from perfect. Yes, we sin and stumble in all kinds of ways. We get it wrong. We know that. But like the people on that first Palm Sunday, who took off their coats and offered them to Jesus, We're offering all of ourselves that we can to all of the Christ that we know in this moment. And sometimes that's just enough. And what if those words of Jesus aren't intended as a threat, but instead as a promise? When the religious leaders say, rebuke these disciples, Jesus says, no, What if he meant here that even if the people should stop singing, the stones themselves will sing for them? Even if their courage fades, even if they forget, even if they lose sight of what it means to praise Jesus, the stones will sing. And it's true, friends. The song that we've been given to sing by Christ is so much bigger than any one of us. And my prayer today is that Jesus' words to the people in Jerusalem will not meet you as a threat, but instead as comfort and fresh courage. I imagine that today there are some of us who would so want God's dream to come alive in our family, in our workplaces, in our world. But for so many reasons, and so many reasons this Palm Sunday, we're tired We're discouraged. and It just doesn't seem to us like God's intentions for our world could ever possibly become true. There are days when all you can hear are people saying, stop singing for crying out loud. But here in these verses, Jesus is saying that God's song is deeper than your disillusionment. It's greater than your doubts. It runs through all of creation and God's peace will have its way. Palm Sunday is a great moment of liberation with the rural poor, not the metropolitan elite, the rural poor grabbing whatever they have and using it to praise Jesus, who in turn blesses their identity in this moment that celebrates weakness and humility. And so what does the song sound like when Christ followers, when disciples sing his praise? What does it sound like? In January this year, it was the 80th anniversary of some beautiful music composed and first played on a cold January night on some pretty mediocre instruments in a cold and grey Nazi prison camp of war. The music was composed by a prisoner in the camp, a Roman Catholic whose name was Olivier Messiaen. He wanted to compose music that would bear witness to Christ and that thrives even in circumstances of death. He was absolutely sick of the Nazi regime's military rhythm, counting in fours as they marched and so on. He didn't want his music to embody it any kind of way, that sort of time. And so he composed the music based on a French translation of a verse in Revelation, where the angel says, there is no more time. Or to put it another way, all historical time is being gathered up into God's time. The piece was called quartet for the end of time. And so how do you compose music that doesn't have time? Well, the rhythms and the meter are changing. They're irregular. The musicians can't play in isolation from each other, counting out their own parts. They instead have to listen and work as an ensemble. They have to attend to each other. They have to play in communion with one another. And what's more, where many composers add notes along the lines of play rapidly, play slowly, Messiah wrote with the music, play with ecstasy, play with tenderness, play with love. What does it look like when followers of Christ lift up their praise? As the world marches along to the jackboot rhythm of all that is broken, we sing with ecstasy, we sing with tenderness, we sing with love. At the beginning of this week, there was an article that appeared on the BBC website about the Regent Honeyeater bird that had forgotten its song. Perhaps you saw it. Do uh, look out for it online. This bird uh, has there are just three hundred of them remaining in the world, and so they don't get a chance to hang out with each other and learn what they're supposed to sound like. It's very hard to find these birds. They're so rare now. The area they occupy is so big, perhaps 10 times the size of the UK. And remember, there's only 300 of them. It's a needle in a haystack search. And during this search, some of the scientists involved noticed that the birds were singing strange songs. They didn't sound like regent honey eaters. They sounded like different species. Because you see, songbirds learn their songs the way that humans learn to speak. As young birds leave the nest, they go out into the world, they need to associate with each other in order to find their song. They listen to the song of their kind and they repeat that song over and over. It's a challenge for us in these pandemic days not to forget our song, even though it's harder for us to find ways of meeting together, to learn from one another It's so easy to get drawn in to singing weird songs, to being influenced by all sorts of things that might even look like birds, might even sound initially like bird song, but aren't the song we've been called to sing. Friends, don't forget to sing the Christ song. On Palm Sunday, Jesus looked at all of his disciples singing and he said, if they should stop, singing. And sure enough, by midnight Thursday, all of them had stopped. By Friday, the world went dark and silent. Until the third day, something in the world began to stir and to rumble. And do you know what that was? It was a stone. As it budged and groaned and rolled away, from a tomb to make way for a saviour. Don't you just think that that stone was singing? Thanks be to God. Going to have a moment now for us to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us, and we'll do that with a moment of quiet. And as we do that, I want you to ask yourself today, what would it look like for me to lift up God's praise in my life right now, in my context, where I live, where I work, where I study. What does my best song sound like in this world and how should I offer it? Let's take a moment of quiet and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, would you lift up our hearts this morning? Would you move us past all discouragement or any shallow praise? And help us to lay down all resistance like the people laid down their garments and palm branches on that day. And by your spirit, may we welcome you as best we know and as you give us strength. For it's in your name that we pray. You are our Lord and our Saviour and our King. Amen.